Hey everyone, this is Rabbi Zev Bannett. You're listening to the Daily Halacha Kabbalah and Machshava podcast brought to you by Yesodblocks.com. If you're enjoying this content, you can visit us at Yesodblocks.com and subscribe there in order to get access to all of the Torah frameworks that we've been sharing, uploading new content all the time at that platform. And all the ideas that we're sharing here in the Kabbalah space, in the Machshava space, the various underpinnings of the halachic world are elucidated there far more at length in an integrated form, and then you can really access the sophisticated system the Torah really is, as opposed to the unfortunate situation that we often find ourselves in nowadays in which Torah has been fragmented into whatever popular pieces of Torah are more known, and by popular I mean could be popular for the last few decades or even longer, where just certain aspects of the Torah are talked about more, are taught more, certain areas of halacha, certain masechtas of the Talmud, certain parts of Torah are just more known and more discussed, whereas huge areas of Torah remain unexplored and largely unknown to the masses of our people and to the world. And when those things are all understood together in a systematic way, and you see the big picture of Torah really operates, and then how that trickles down all the way to the detail level, uh, granular uh, level of Torah, and suddenly you're like, wow, this is actually the most sophisticated thing I've ever seen. It is the most expansive uh, system of consciousness, theories of consciousness, mappings of consciousness, and how that intangible self that you are manifests into the world. So that is what the Torah is. That's what we're dealing with. At yesoblocks.com, you can come subscribe there and get access to all of that and blow your own mind on a regular basis, make Torah alive, and actually mean something far beyond what it is unfortunately viewed as today. We're in Siman Nun Gimel, section 53 of the Shulchan Aruch, and we're exploring every episode another halacha from the Shulchan Aruch, uh, and then explaining the underlying spirituality elements, the Kabbalah and Machshav components that underlie the halacha, and the goal is to show this, uh, to really show how to learn anything, really, which is that when you read something, you have to then begin to ask questions and dig underneath to see what's buried within. So, and that's that. There's and the assumption being that if the Torah is actually real, then it's filled with layers, and that there that that asking questions is always okay because there's always something underneath, as opposed to things that are not real. They're usually about one or two questions away from not existing. So, uh, if you prod them too much, they just flutter away and disintegrate. So this section, this halacha is halacha yotet, it's the 19th halacha in section 53, Siman Nun Gimel, and we're going to break this halacha into two parts because there really are two different issues here, and so I'm just going to read the first part first, and then we'll uh, we'll just focus in on that. So the halacha says, Yesh mon'im ger miliyot shliach tzibur. There are those who say that you should prevent a ger from being the shliach tzibur, from being the leader of the tefillah group. Uh, we're going to explain what a ger is in a second. People should translate the word ger to mean convert. I'll explain why that's not such a great translation, but let's we'll get there in a second. Uh, so the people who say that it's not that that they're, the first the first part of the halacha is that there are those who say that you should prevent a ger from being the shliach tibor. That's the first set of opinions here, and then it says, but there, those opinions have been uh, pushed off. In other words, they they didn't make it. They're not. We don't. We don't. We don't agree with that, and we don't follow that. So um, the first thing is that when te- when learning this nowadays, there is often an automatic like uh, aversion to to what's being said here, and then kind of like meaning first it says, oh, a ger shouldn't really be a shliach tibur, and then there's kind of like this we choose sides and say well the second side which says that the, that the first opinion is wrong and we don't follow that, so we kind of pick that side often and say yeah that that makes more sense to me. Um, that's that's really a cultural das tovera dynamic of applying today's cultural tendencies, which essentially are 
the idea that you could delineate um, differences between people and then as a result disqualify somebody from some kind of role. So it's something which we don't like nowadays. It's very unpopular. Um, and so we tend to then associate this with that. And we say, oh, well, this fact that the, that the ending opinion here was that uh, we don't follow that. And we, we actually don't say that a ger shouldn't, should not be a shliach tzibor. So we, we're in favor of that. But actually, that's not true. On the Torah level, they're really this is actually what's called the machlokas rishonim. There are two sets of rishonim, meaning thousand-year-old, around average, on average, thousand-year-old commentaries who are analyzing um, this, this issue and from the Talmud and, and other source materials. And they're listed here, Rabbeinu Yonah and the Ran. Uh, and so th- that, those are the two rishonim that, uh, that are against a ger being the shaliach tzibor. And then we have these other Rishonim, the Ramban, the Rashba, the Renu Yoel, who all said that it's fine for a Ger to be the Shaliach Tibor. So we have these two different groups of Rishonim. And so once you start put, pointing that out, then suddenly this, this changes from being like a, our own projecting cultural norms from today onto this Halacha. And instead we look at it and we say, okay, um, these are two different sets of Rishonim who are clearly come, who are always, always come with different underlying logics and interpretations of the Gemara that are legitimate. And so there must be some reason for each of these two opinions. And the question is, well, what is underneath this, uh, both in terms of their opinions and then the bigger framework that that is an expression of? So let's explore that. So the first thing to, to explore in doing that is understanding exactly what a ger is and what the concept of B'nai Yisrael in contrast to not B'nai Yisrael is as well. So the, the way this is usually portrayed, unfortunately, is that, well, B'nai Yisrael, we are the chosen people, and then everybody else is not part of that. And then there's like this, uh, this like we mentioned, mentioned in the previous episode, this tzitzah um, this where basically like we, we take the idea that we're chosen, we lose touch with the underlying meaning of that, and then we just kind of throw that around in a vague way where now we're dogmatically just saying, well, we're chosen, and then we extend that to saying, well, if we're chosen, that must mean that we're just better. And you'll notice that being chosen in a vacuum is silly. If I say that I'm choosing you, so if I walk up to you and I say, hey, I'm choosing you, your immediate question will be choosing me for what? So if you don't know the answer to that with, in, the, in the case of us as a people, like what are we chosen for, then the, the idea of us being chosen is absolutely meaningless. And so then if you, and, and, if, and if you say, well, it, it tells us that actually we're better than someone else, well, that's actually the same thing. If I walk up to you and I say to you, hey, you know what, um, you're really, you're better, you're just better. So that also has no meaning because you can't have something just be better in a vacuum. Betterness implies comparison, and comparison implies a standard of measurements and potentially also values, which is the same thing, right? Values and measurements are the same idea. Um, so if I say I'm better than some, someone else, there has to be some kind of point of comparison. Better than you at what? So that's that. those questions need to be answered. And what happens instead is that people are actually imputing a, a level of meaning uh, without saying it out loud. When, when, when people look at the idea of being chosen and say, oh, well, we're chosen, and that means that we're better, what, that, what they're really saying is that they are deriving a sense of self-worth from that idea. They're saying, on the level, on the level of my self-worth, I can now lean on this idea and say, I am just better than you on a self-worth level, and then that can also translate into a general social worth level, which is I am more important to society than you, such that if there was some kind of situation where we had to choose between you and me, then I would win. That's basically uh, what I just described is exactly the way that all the concepts of racism, sexism, supremacy, any kinds of distortions, and, and, and unfortunately today, people think of that as, well, racism is against people with darker colored skin, uh, sexism is against women, and the idea of supremacy is against is 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 also against people with darker skin. But actually, if you just look at human beings, instead of a 
fixating on those kinds of labels and you instead look at the the uh, the underlying mechanics of perception that I just outlined, the ideas of what it means to be better in these ways, what people are actually saying when they start to think in this way. So any person can begin to look at other people through this lens. And so that, that's why you can have plenty of cases of distorted thinking that is that, that is coming from a woman towards a man in that exact same way, or a person with darker skin against a person with lighter skin, or any, you can have people who are, who are trying to basically position themselves as supreme over others in the way we just described, and that's actually constantly happening. It happens in every society, and it's simply the idea that, well, I am trying to now be above the other people around me and trying to gain my own sense of self-worth by basically um, putting other people below me and that is not something which is restricted to a particular category of physical trait. So that, but and the distortions are always set up in the way I just described. So that's um, that's that that's the that's the distortion that emanates from a very vague perspective about what it means to be chosen. Uh, and when there's no real context, then it just devolves into this perspective, which unfortunately has given rise to every form of destructive behavior between groups, between people of different different. Uh, particularities, essentially. So the question is then, well, what are we chosen for? What does it mean to be the chosen people? And the short answer to that, if we can just kind of sum that up in a very short way right now, is something that we've discussed a little bit in previous episodes in certain form, which is that if after the Das story happened, when we ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it created a distorted dynamic where now we tend to perceive things more on the surface and get more fixated and attached on what, what's right in front of us, and things that are in the background are less interesting to us, which is the definition of preference. We are more interested instinctively in what is right in front of us. That is a basic preference that we all have. Uh, so if that's true, then Hashem's presence basically got blocked out uh, from our perception because of that, because Hashem's presence is a quiet background hum that is manifest as all of the things that are right in front of us. So to actually be aware of that background hum requires us to access both the what's right in front of us perspective, but also all the bigger picture of what reality is perspectives that are beyond that. So to not just be stuck in what we're what we're fixated and what we're fixated on right now, but to see that there is much more than what's right in front of us. That's true, by the way, just physically, there's also much more than what's right in front of us, even though we have a very hard time realizing that sometimes we make very bad decisions because of that sometimes. But also on the intangible level, there's actually something that is beneath all of reality that's essentially the bigger picture that we have lost. And so that distortion is what we are here to fix. We were chosen to bring Hashem's presence back into the picture to help undo the imbalance of the Das Tovara, that tree. So that's what we're here to do. That's what, that's what we're here for. That's what we're chosen for. So now the question becomes, well, when someone is chosen for something, does that make them better than someone else? And the answer is it makes them better at that thing. In other words, if I choose a particular person out of a, out of a group of, of 8 billion people, I choose one person. I say, you are the person that I want to spend my life with. You are the person that I want to now build a family with. So does that make that person better than everybody else? In terms of that thing that I chose them for, of course it does. In terms of the choice, I may, I chose them specifically as the person I want to do that with. So now definitionally, they're clearly going to be better for me subjectively for that purpose, for what I chose them for. That is, now, people tend to view this idea of, of, of one person being better than somebody else. If you say it in a vague way, then it's threatening. Like, oh, they're just better than you. And that, that Because once it's left open, people instinctively go to the world of self-worth, which is the world of sexism and racism and all those things. But if you say that this person is better for this thing, 
then people have lower likelihood of actually being offended by that. And the same thing is true is if I hire you to be a, a, a software engineer who does, uh, I don't know, Python coding, and then and then this other person says, oh, um, you chose him for that, like now I'm really jealous, like you're making me feel like I'm nobody. But so I say, well, do you know how to do software engineering? And they say, no. So I say, well, you were like, I can't choose you for that because you can't do that thing. So I chose this person for that purpose. So there's no point of comparison now between the two of you. And so therefore, you like, it's, you're, you are irrelevant to the discussion here in terms of that attribute. So that's something which people have a very difficult time with nowadays because there's a very strong pro uh, propelling, propagating of the narrative of this idea that each of us is absolutely irreplaceable and therefore any comparison between, it, between any of us, even on the level of our traits, is suddenly not allowed because if I compare you to me on the level of our traits, then that, that means that I'm now implying that you are worth less than me on a soul level, on a, on a neshama level, on the level of the, in, the endless self that you are. So that is what underlies the distortion side of things here, and, and all that should not be brought to bear in this halacha, because Rabbeinu Yonah and the Ran are not coming to say that we should not allow a ger to be uh, uh, the shaliach tzibur here because of some vague thing like that, oh, they're not as good as us, or something like that. So that's that's the first thing, to just kind of get rid of that. So if we're chosen for this purpose of bringing Hashem's consciousness into the world, so then that means that there's two, there's really two layers to that, and the first layer is the obvious layer, which is, okay, well, if that's your role, if you're part of B'nai Yisrael, and that's what you were chosen for, so you can now, um, you, you can do that as an individual. But the question is, well, can, can another individual who is not chosen for that, can they decide they want to be chosen for that? And the Torah says, actually, yes. If a person wants to become uh, a relationship carrier of Hashem's presence in the world, they can simply decide they want to do that. This is similar to the idea of, of B'nai Israel being the, the, the firstborn child of Hashem and all the other nations being younger children. So let's think about what that means for a second. Like if you're the firstborn child, what that means is that now you have a unique relationship with the parents. And then in the, in the, in the, in the Midrashim that discuss these kinds of things, so the, the, the dynamic is that the firstborn child is the, is the conduit between Hashem, between the parent and the other children. So that means that the firstborn child makes sense because he has he's he or she has been is the oldest, so therefore is is the most mature in terms of the parents' dynamic, and then can can convey that to the younger children in a form they can understand. But let's say you have a younger child who's like I don't know the fourth child, and now that child says I want to have a relationship like that with 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 my parents. So is that restricted now? Is it like no, only the oldest child has that role? The answer is no. If you want to have a relationship like that with your parents then you have to behave in, this, in the same way as the oldest child. You have to go and now be a conduit for the parents to the other children. That's something which you can decide to do. It's in your power to do that. You can decide to build that kind of relationship, to commit to your parents in that way, and then become that kind of relationship person with them. And that is what a gear is. A gear is a person who decides they want to do that. They want to be a part of that and actually become that kind of relationship character as an individual. They now, they now want to join the group and say, I want to now play the individual role in my life of being in that kind of relationship with Hashem and up, up, upping, upgrading, making more prominent the awareness of Hashem's presence in the world. So they can do that. Anybody can do that. And that's why this is that this is actually a real example of true chosenness as opposed to vague chosenness where it's about who's better because the area of, of, of 
becoming a ger, it actually has real responsibilities. You're being chosen for a specific thing to do something, which is similar to the example of the software engineer. Now you're being chosen to do something and the specific requirements that are necessary for actually entering into a relationship. Just, just like if you want to get into a marriage and, you're, and you want to choose somebody and be chosen by them for that. There are responsibilities that come with that. You have to actually do certain things. And you can't just be like, well, I just want to be the same as you because I don't want to be less than you. That's a very vague, insecure um, self-worth orientation that is simply based on falsehoods. Uh, and that's, that, that, that's not relevant here at all. So that's the individual, individualized element here that a gear can do that. But the question that, that, that's being discussed here is, well, we're talking about a tefillah group. And I'll just mention as a, back, as a backdrop point that the idea of a person who joins in that way is that the, there's a lot of halachos about how the, anybody who's in B'nai Israel, part of B'nai Israel, is not allowed to, there's a, there's a huge array of restrictions in terms of the kinds of things you're allowed to say to a ger that might potentially relate to their past when they had not chosen that. In other words, you're not allowed to shame a ger in any way. You're not, you, have, you have to treat the ger very, very, very lovingly and constantly radiate acceptance of them. Because they chose to become part of this, and, and, the, and there's a few different reasons for this. One is because, I mean, our whole people began this way. Abraham began the story of our people by choosing to want to do this for Hashem. And so if a, if a, if a person who's not part of B'nai Israel does that, so then he's, it's like Avraham. That's one, one example of what's explained in the, in the Gemara about why a ger is, is supposed to be loved in that way. Um, but the idea is that we are not supposed, we, we are we're supposed to be very careful and sensitive to a ger to not, to not um, create a sense that they are not really part of this family because that actually under, undermines the whole halacha of ger. It actually undermines the truth of how anybody can decide to become a part of the process of bringing Hashem's consciousness into the world. It's actually a false perspective from that place. Not just that it's not that it's mean or something, it's that it's actually a false perspective and undermines the the, the truth of reality, which is that any person can decide they want to now join and become a part of bringing Hashem's presence into the world. So that's that's that piece. But this halacha does say, there are two opinions who say that we don't want such a person to be the shaliach tzibur. And the question is, what is their logic? And the answer to that is, if you actually look at the Mishnah Brewer here, it says, well, the problem is that he can't say the phrase, elokei avoseinu. He can't say, uh, in Shemot Esrei, there's this phrase where you say that Hashem was the elokim of our fathers. And the problem is that a ger can't say that because a ger's fathers were actually not people who were part of B'nai Israel, And Hashem is therefore not their Elohim. They did not choose to experience Hashem as their Elohim. And so as a result, I'm not, I'm not defining the word Elohim right now. I'm just going to kind of leave that as just the, their, we'll call it if you want, their uh, higher power or something like that. But since Hashem was not their Elohim, so this ger, according to this opinion, cannot say Elokeh Avoseinu. And what that means more deeply is that there's also, not only is there an individualized um, component of, of commitment, but there is also a group dynamic, and that's what's called Zuchus Avos, that basically, as Rav Dessler describes, that this concept of Zuchus Avos is that when you grow up in a family where your father and your grandfather and your great-grandfather and your parents and all these all these people that came before you were all part of something, let's say you have a family business, and everybody is everybody in your family has been a part of that. So when, when somebody joins that business, they're going to feel a difference between themselves and those who have been there before in terms of the embedded, instinctive, and intuitive knowledge and understanding of the nature of that business. Now, we want to make sure we don't want them to feel left out. We have to constantly try to help them to get further and further embedded into the structure of the system on the group level, for sure. That's what I mentioned earlier about trying to make a gear feel accepted. Um, but that does not change the basic fact that there is a difference between being simply embedded in this Again, that embedding in a business setting can also have lots of distortions and problems, but I'm just saying in the Hashem side, it's supposed to be that 
that we have a very deep, intuitive, um, instinctive way of being with Hashem because because of our uh, our placement in our families and and an embedded an embeddedness in our in the chain of our heritage. That's what's supposed to be there. So the assumption is, well, if somebody joins that, so they're going to have a certain automatic distance that's there, and it's going to take some time before that can really change, and so maybe they shouldn't be the leader of a tefillah group, since the whole idea of a tefillah group is that we're supposed to have, as you've been mentioning, in the Shaliyah Tzibor, we're supposed to be somebody who is spiritually more encompassing, more inclusive, able to basically be beyond everybody else, and then draw them in towards the higher states of, of spirituality on the level of the ten attributes that each of us has that we use to manifest our neshama into the world. So that seems to be the rationale of Rabbeinu Yonah and the Ran, and it's really a very, it's a very, um, it's a, it's a, a very fine point. In other words, like it's like you could make the argument, well, there is some of that, but there's also, as the Mishnah Baruch points out, um, that even if uh, this person's heritage is not the same. But Avraham is called Avhamon Goyim, which means that Avraham was the father of many nations. And so the person actually could say, according to that, that Hashem is the Elohim of my fathers, because Avraham is kind of like this umbrella father for everyone. And so according to that approach, so then even if you didn't grow up in this kind of setting, but you still do have a connection to the root in that way through Avraham, and so you still are part of the group. And so that these are very, very, um, again, they're very nuanced perspectives, and there are two very legitimate opinions here in terms of this particular issue and how it's expressed. And so then the only question is, which one do we follow? And so the the the, the Shulchan Aruch Paskins here, that we, the majority of the Rishonim go the other way. They say that we should allow a ger to be a Shaliyah Tzibor, and that it's not a reason to stop them. And therefore, that, that is how the halacha actually ends off over here um, and pretty much captures that. So hopefully that was clarifying uh, in a few different ways, a lot of different points there. We didn't, we only, in 20 minutes to cover all of that was obviously a big job. But hopefully this was useful and helpful, not too confusing. And thanks again for tuning in and joining us. And check us out at yourselfblocks.com, as I mentioned. And looking forward to having you join me for the next episode.